This is a Voice in the Wilderness podcast channel. This is going to be a random thought number six. The reason it's a random thought is I like to, um, on my episodes, I like to tackle one topic at a time. And in this case, I'm going to be topping, um, I'm sorry, I'm going to be tackling two topics at once. But first, a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, I am. Amen. All that I am, all that I have, all that I do shall be consecrated to the service, honor, and glory and exaltation of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and the Heavenly Kingdom.
In Jesus' name I pray, Immaculate Heart of Mary, please pray for us. Sacred Heart of Jesus, please pray for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, Amen. So the first topic I'm going to start off with on this random thought is keep it simple, stupid. Now those of you who are American, well, I can't even make that assumption anymore. The acronym for keep it simple, stupid spells KISS. And when I say this, when I use this, this acronym, this is aimed at sedimentus. Um, although I guess if you're secular, you could use it in a secular way. But this is mainly used to set of a contest. And the reason I'm using the acronym is, is I've consumed a lot of set of a contest content over the past couple years. And I've noticed that they fall into at least two errors. The first error is apologetics, theological apologetics. And the second error that they fall into is um, they apparently, the only other podcaster who kind of follows the same formula I do is my favorite set of a contest podcaster on um, YouTube. For those of you who are interested, um, him and another favorite YouTuber of mine are listed on my first episode of St. Longinus' Baptism. But the majority of said Vacantist apologist um, podcasts that I fo- uh, have run into tend to be um Theological apologetics mainly aimed at the Vatican II sect. And um, once again, just their their general apologetics is aimed at the Vatican II sect. Now I covered in my epi- one of my episodes yesterday that in my mind that's wasting precious time. We're replicating what we have 200,000 pound gorillas podcasts in the room in Norvis Ordo Watch and uh, True Restoration Radio. Um, now, honestly speaking, I believe the last season of uh, True Restoration Radio that I've listened to was season five. Um, I believe they're anywhere between season 10 and season 12 at this point. Unfortunately, their material is behind a paywall. And um, I, I just, you know, I can't afford a subscription to them. And by the way, this isn't me whining like a little girl. This is just a statement of fact. But the last time I checked, a lot of their apologetics were aimed at the Neo-Trads and the Vatican II sect. So, 
along the lines because when I use the terms the term kiss keep it simple stupid it could it could be applied in multiple aspects of pre-Vatican II Catholicism it could be applied to apologetics it could be applied to spiritual life and it could even be applied to your reading okay um a lot of people i think and i'm not necessarily exempting myself from this from this point try to tack you tackle uh, authors and topics that they're not equipped to deal with out of either either uh, wanting to deepen their knowledge or um, or because they think that they can handle it and the danger of reading stuff that you're not equipped to deal with is especially in theology if you're reading this material and you don't fully understand what it's talking about um you you could get it uh, you could seriously misunderstand the point and if you're not careful you might slide in heresy which as long as we're talking about pre-Vatican II Catholicism one of the teachings of that Catholic Church was or I should say is is that you should read the Bible with commentary because I agree with St. Jerome when he says that scripture is shallow enough for a baby to play in the puddle and deep enough for learned theologians to ponder the mysteries for years on end. I do agree with that. However, I would also say that reading, interpreting scripture on your own has led to more misery in the true Catholic Church over the years despite uh, and I, I'm, I'm saying this even with the own traitors in our own ranks who gave us Vatican II um, at least in America you know we a lot of people fall into heresy of Americanism they see their their uh, neighbors reading their Bible and interpret it in front of themselves. Like, well, why can't I do that? So that, but I, I just wanted to use that as an example of, you know, keeping it simple. Um. Generally, when it comes to Scripture, especially in the New Testament, a lot of the references in there pretty much speak for their own end. 
But as I never get tired of saying, God made Scripture in such a way that it could be it could be for prophetic. It could be um, there's a spiritual aspect. There's the literal aspect. It could be uh, part of it could be for a particular time and place. What I'm trying to say in my own clumsy way is, is scripture in and of itself is layered and um, multifaceted. And, you know, even before Vatican II, you know, a lot of the, the popes and prelates were trying to get the average Catholic to crack their Bibles. So... But when it comes to apologetics, I kind of touched on this in one of my two episodes yesterday, but I want to touch on it again because it could never hurt to do it again. The whole Vatican II sec thing to use an Americanism, it's played out. Okay? You, we've got professional apologists already doing this. There is, there is a whole wide open field. And I absolutely mean a whole wide open field of seculars, of um, atheists, of agnostics and Protestants who don't know how deep and rich the pre-Vatican II Catholicism really is. Not just in its heritage, not just in its history, not just in its liturgical practices, not just in its scholarship. You have saints, you have spiritual writers, you have priests that if we could get the message out to outside of the narrow little circle that a select group has decided needs, you know, needs their attention that we could be that we could be using And just my own personal thoughts on the subject, it kind of reminds me of the, um, the, the start of the Roman Catholic Church in pagan Rome. You know, it started off it started off in Israel and then it moved its way out. Rome, Spain, Syria, um, Armenia, Egypt. And you had a whole bunch of people who had never, may have never heard of, uh, of the concepts that Jesus Christ and his apostles um talked about I suspect that your average pagan 
is probably as ignorant as I was when I started on this journey. And probably, you know, they, they, they fall into the airs of um, generalism. Well, Protestant, you know, Catholic, uh, Eastern Orthodox, they're all, they all worship Jesus. Therefore, they're all Christians. There is an untapped field that we could be mining and we're not. Because just like we tend to limit God and put him into our own box, we're limiting ourselves and putting ourselves in our little preconceived notions of how things should be. Um, another aspect of keeping it simple. We don't need, well, I'll speak for myself. I try not to get deep into theology, number one. Because I'm aware of my limitations. And I don't feel like... I try not to tackle topics that I don't feel qualified in tackling. I'd rather leave theology to those who are better at it and more well-versed in it. But... Part of keeping it simple is knowing who your audience is. I've con I've I've uh, did an episode of this on Saint Longinus's baptism. Your average secular or pagan, what have you, even Protestant, really suffers from the drawbacks that people in society as a whole suffer from, which is they have been trained, you know, through culture and uh, society to, to not be able to hold the thought for longer than 30 seconds. They have been trained in that. Um... That's why on YouTube, there are certain edgy boys who will do a 10-second clip. I suspect part of that reason is, is because they suffer from that. And a 10-second clip is, you know, to them, it's really deep thinking. Um, for the more sophisticated, I think that they put a 10 or 20-second clip out there because... They know that their generation can't handle anything more than that. So, honestly speaking, my average runtime runs anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour or slightly over. Even at an hour, as simple and as direct as I try to keep my podcast, I think for a lot, especially from for a lot of the younger types, although my generation and the boomers are just as guilty of this as well, they look at it and they're like, oh my gosh, it's an hour, man. That's too long. Um, if I remember correctly, when Father Bernard Utley did his uh, Spiritual Life podcast, 
People were whining and complaining that some of his episodes ran to two hours. And the fact that they're complaining about the fact that they're being given gold to me says volumes about our culture and society. But number two, the lack of critical thinking that you're complaining, well, two hours is too long, and the thought that it never occurred to some of these writers who were complaining that you don't have to listen two hours at a stretch. You can break it up, just like a book. Well, a book's a bad example because a lot of people don't even like reading. But um, you can break it up. You know, for for a better example, it's like the Bible. You don't have to read an entire book of the Gospels. You can break it up into uh, chapters or verses. But it's the same thing with podcasts. You don't have to sit and listen to the whole thing. Um, to get to my original, what my original point was going to be, even at an hour, I think I'm taxing a lot of my listeners. And this is not a criticism. So don't take this personally. None of the things I'm going to say in, in, in this episode are direct criticisms. They're statements of fact of what I see in modern day culture and society. So keeping, its, keeping your terms and concepts Simple, meaning don't don't use Shakespearean English. And for those of you who don't know, 16th century English when you are trying to evangelize people. They don't know what you're talking about. You're going to turn them off. And that's another thing about keeping it simple. We can't, we can't turn our pet, our pet ways of thinking. And when I say thinking, I'm, I'm talking about using, if not the, the 16th century English or the 19th century Victorian English that we may prefer. Me personally, I don't, but what my point is, is that the message, the concepts in the message have to fit our audience. We have to talk to them in ways and terms that they can understand and grasp. And another thing too is, is we got to leave our ego at the door. Humility goes a long way, not just in our per personal interactions with human beings, but also in our, um, if, if we decide that we want to evangelize, keeping humility goes a long way. Now, I'm sure some of my long-time listeners, oh, this, this is rich coming from this guy. Um, there's a difference between me calling out um, the fundamental faults of our culture and society and 
my co-religionists, a certain segment of them for their errors and their bad behavior and trying to evangelize the uninitiated. And for that matter, for those of you who may be thinking, oh, that's rich coming from him, I don't call out people by name as a general rule. I don't call out people by name. I try to keep it generalized. Because, number one, it's charity. But number two, um, calling people out by name, besides the obvious lack of charity, just tends to alienate people who would otherwise may or may not be your you know, interested in what you have to say. So, we, we have to speak in terms and concepts that people, modern day people, understand. Simplicity is the key here. Simplicity, because despite our societies and cultures pretense to sophistication and and how smart they think they are there when it comes to god's truth and this is the reason why saint paul used this expression in his epistles um he was talking about new converts and he was saying they were babies who they start off on their mother's milk, and then as they progress, they're able to eat what I call the meat and potatoes of, in other words, the, the uh, more complicated concepts of Catholic theology. I mean, I've been swimming enough in social media waters that there are a lot of people who think that they're, you know, the smartest guy in the room, but when it comes to God's truth, don't have a clue. And once again, this includes a certain segment of set of contests. So if you try to get technical, unless it's absolutely necessary, they're going to tune you out. Number one, short attention span. But number two, this was a, another aspect of modern day culture and society, is the lack of critical thinking skills. People are not trained, as a general rule, to think, to divorce their emotions out of the way they think. They are trained to emote, not to critically think not to analyze, not to actually research what they're hearing. But, you know, if something that they hear does not sound, you know, to them correct, they tune it out. And, um, Part of critical thinking skills is being skeptical. Is being skeptical. That is why 
the majority of my original podcast, St. Longinus' Baptism, I give sources. But people, that's, that's another aspect of modern day society and culture too. People are lazy. To them, reading a book that's over 150 to 200 pages is a chore. Now, once again, this is not a direct, you know, this is not a point of criticism. This is an observation of present-day modern society and culture. Um, some people do not like to read. You know, um, I'm not one of those people. I've always, well, I take it back. When I was a kid, I hated reading. And then as uh, out of necessity, I was forced to read. I realized that it could be fun and rewarding, and I enjoyed it. But not everybody's like that because we're all individuals. And I understand, but to go back to a spiritual principle from pre-Vatican to Catholicism, part of sacrifices that we make, either for our own personal mortification or for uh, the intentions of a loved one or a particular person that you know, is doing things that we don't necessarily enjoy doing for their sake. Now, am I saying that um, you read a 300-page book in one night? No. What I'm saying is, like anything else, a, a, a person that's just starting out lifting weights doesn't start out benching 500 pounds. They start off benching what they can bench. Maybe it might be 70, 80, or 100 pounds. You keep working at it until you can add more weight. It's the same thing, honestly, in any endeavor. You know, um, I'm just going to use this as an example because this is the closest book nearby. The book, The Secret of Mary by St. Louis de Montfort runs to 89 pages. 89 pages. In my humble opinion, in 89 pages, and this is why St. Louis de Montfort is a saint, this book is deep enough and rich enough that you can read it time and time and time again. It's, it's got prayers. It's everything that you need to get closer to the Blessed Mother is covered in this book, at least from a beginner's level. 89 pages. But the reason I'm, I'm raising this issue is because um, at least with Father Bernard Utley I'm not criticizing his approach for two reasons number one anybody who who does listen to that series of podcasts that he did will understand that number one he's a very 
conscientious priest, but number two, that the spiritual life is rich and deep. And as a podcast, well, number one, as as a friar, uh, a monk slash priest, he doesn't have time the way I do to take a series of episodes on the spiritual life and do them for a long time. He has parishioners to take care of. He has prayers to pray. He has his own duties as a priest that he must take care of. So by necessity, his episodes, some of them had to go over two hours. So, you know, a lot of people may get annoyed about that fact, but once again, you have to use your critical thinking skills. Priests have lives, duties, I should say. They have duties that they have to do. They're not like me, Joe Lehman, who can spend an hour of my time, or slightly over an hour, breaking down complex topics and making them digestible. But that, that is the basic point of keeping it simple. Stupid. Is making... If, if, if evangelization is what you want to do, breaking down a concept and making it digestible to a very ignorant and ill-formed public... is a very good idea. As a matter of fact, I would say it's the only idea. And you have to bear in mind too, when the first monks left Rome and went to evangelize uh, modern-day France, modern-day Spain, and modern-day Germany and England, they were talking to a very pagan audience. Do you think that the first thing that a monk who is trying to evangelize the average, let's just say, German tribesman started off with was the theory of consubstantiation? And for those of you who may be unaware, uh, the, the, Catholic, the Catholic dogma of consubstantiation Constantiebs. Basically, what I just said meant that when the priest offers the bottom, the bread and the wine to be consecrated into the soul, body, blood, and divinity of Jesus Christ, that's that's what they mean by that, that term. Now, as you can see, I can barely pronounce the word. I've got the concept at its, I'm, I ain't gonna lie, at its basic level, but those first monks didn't start off with that. They followed St. Paul's approach. They gave them the milk, the stuff that's easy to digest and easy to understand, and as the particular 
person that they were evangel or tribe really were evangelizing as they grew in knowledge and in spirit moved on to more substantial topics we have you gotta you gotta hand it to the Masonic Satanists they have literally turned back the clock your average your average of uh, citizen not just American, but your average citizen is no better than their pagan tribesmen of a thousand or two thousand years ago. They're no better. Yeah, you know, I, and I'm, I'm sure I can hear it now that the autists out there, oh, we have smartphones, we have computers. Yeah, that's true, we do. But just because... We have the technology doesn't make us any more advanced than the godless pagans of a thousand or two thousand years ago. Once again, critical thinking skills. You know, and, and that's another thing too. Technology, and I think I've covered this in a previous episode, technology is not a sign of a cultural advancement. The Romans, the Aztecs, the Greeks had technological advancements. But as far as their culture and societies were, they were a cesspit of practical atheism. Once again, I know that there's people who are going to overthink the concept because they can't keep it simple who are going to say, well, no, they believed in the God. That, that, that meant that they, they were willing to... No. A correct understanding of God is essential for not only correct belief, but it, for the advancement of your, the, the, the morality of your society. Actually, for their being able to Think logically and correctly. You have to have the pre the proper conception of God. If you do not, because once again, you you know, these people that like to overthink things. If if a pagan tribesman says that a tree is God, does that number one, does that make it so? And number two. Is that the correct idea? No. And the Greeks, the Romans, the Aztecs, name your quote-unquote advanced civilizations of their time. That doesn't, you know, they might have been advanced for their time technologically, but as far as their culture and society went, it, it was literally a nest of uh, demons. And we've gone back to that. And I don't want to get too deep in the weeds because I've already covered this aspect of it. So, if you choose to evangelize, and once again, I beg and beseech you, leave the Vatican II sect to the... Per to the professionals. There is a wide open 
field that is literally untapped. It's literally untapped. The seculars, the pagans, the atheists, the agnostics, and the Protestants. And for those of you who may be a set of a contest who was former Eastern Orthodox, your own co-religionists. I, you know, I mean, there, Jesus was being prophetic. And by the way, it wasn't just Jesus. A lot of the saints have said this throughout the years, throughout the history, and the fathers and doctors of church, the harvest is vast and the laborers are few. Keep it simple, stupid. Keep your topics simple, keep your verbiage simple, and keep your concepts simple. That's it. So, the second part of my episode is and now that I'm looking at it I literally could have kept this to two episodes but I'm going to go ahead and keep this as is a man with nothing to lose or I'm sorry a person with nothing to lose is a very dangerous and when I say this I'm not talking about in the lone gunman sort of way where they grab a semi-automatic rifle and shoot down innocent people or drive a truck into a crowd. I'm not talking about this. I'm saying to the powers that be, a man, or I'm sorry, a person, I keep going with the man, a person who... Number one is willing to die for their faith. Once again, I'm not talking about Islamic terrorists. Because number one, Islam is a false religion. And Christians are not, or I'm sorry, Catholics are not called to strap bombs to themselves and run into crowds and blow people up. What I mean by willing to die for their faith, they live peaceably within their pagan society that they live in, wherever they may be. I don't care if it's America, Mexico, um, Italy, Japan, um, Syria, wherever you may be, India. They live peaceably within their pagan society, but should their pagan governments or their pagan neighbors come to them and say, renounce Jesus, uh, renounce Jesus Christ and his blessed mother or we're going to kill you, if they're totally sold out that our Lord and His Blessed Mother are the end goal and the heavenly kingdom. And I don't care if you're married or not. 
I mean, I do understand you got to take care of your family, but what I'm saying is, push comes to shove. We are called to die for our faith, if necessary. And when a person gets to that level of love and devotion for our Lord, His Mother, and the Heavenly Kingdom, and the one true Catholic Church on earth, they are very dangerous indeed. Because the lives they're living, the way they live, and the fact that if they're not willing to go along with the herd mentality, that is paganism in this day and age, makes them very dangerous to the powers that be. Because they're going to see through the lies and the deceptions of the society and culture at large. Now, as I've said in an earlier episode, there are pagans who understand that their their society and their culture is lying to them. However, because they are pagans, they don't get the full impact of how deep this goes and how insidious it is. And they are still under the mistaken impression that, well, with the right form of government, we can can fix society. That is an error. It's an honest error, but it's an error nonetheless. People who are actually honestly and devoutly trying to live their faith are more dangerous to the status quo than any outside forces that are not true Catholic. And, you know, Sedevacantis should be the first to understand this One of the reasons why the pagan Roman government went after um, the Catholics, the, 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 the beginning Catholics at the start of the Catholic Church, it started off, Nero needed a scapegoat. He knew the Christians were hated and distrusted by their neighbors. So what started off as an easy scapegoat snowballed into the later Roman emperors realized that what the glue that was holding their pagan government together was emperor worship. And when... Those Catholics decided that, well, go pound sand, emperor so-and-so. I'm I'm not burning the incense. That they're, that they're, um, that the glue that was holding together their empire would dissolve if they allowed these Catholics to exist peacefully. And they were right, because eventually... Catholicism spread so strongly throughout the empire 
that eventually the empire was converted. Now, I've run into certain types of autistic set of autistics who say, well, you know, um, we could do the same thing in our pagan culture and society. Number one, there, there's a lot of presumption there that is going to take longer to deal with than I want to. I would just say this much. Number one, that's ignoring the book of Apocalypse in the Catholic Bible. To you, uh, to you uh, heretical Protestants, it would be known as the book of Revelations. That's ignoring that part. But it's also ignoring the fact, the very blatant fact, the very thing that over the course of almost a year that I've been pounding nonstop, you have to live your faith truly and sincerely in order to convert others. If you're not converted, how are you going to convert others? Now, I did allow the sharpness to increase in my voice because this, once again, this should be a concept even to the, to the people whose thinking has been stunted by their culture and society. You can't tell others to do what you haven't attempted yourself. That's not the way the world works. How am I going to tell people? And by the way, this is this is a I think it's a purposeful mistake of what the the political um, sector which is known as the neo reactionaries do. They want to tell the world at large, hey, you need to follow our line of thinking. And they're not even trying to practice what they preach. Because in their mind, they're not going to be the lowly pleb that has to do their, you know, take the orders. They're going to be the ones giving the orders. That's not how leadership works. Now, granted, granted, in secular society and culture, that's exactly what happens. A bunch of people with no core principles or beliefs who does not practice what they preach are literally, um, well, yes, they're literally leading us. But that's an inversion of true leadership. And you can dismiss this at your own peril. That particular house of cards is going to fall. And it doesn't matter the time frame. It's going to fall. But in the meantime, in order to be a good leader, you have to set the example. You have to model the leadership principle. And the only way that you're going to model leadership in the particulars is if you are willing to unquestioningly follow our Lord, His Blessed Mother, and the one true Catholic Church. Once you learn total obedience, which, by the way, um, anybody 
who's a Catholic nun, priest, or um, monk, they have to take the vows of chastity, obedience, and poverty. Okay? And not to get too theologically deep here, those three, those three vows, and they take them to God himself. Um, and the Catholic Church, obviously, which is his instrument. But, um, obedience. Obedience does not come naturally to a human being. Now, there's the difference between unhesitating obedience to a lawful instruction and blind obedience to something that's wrong in and of itself. Chastity. Now, I do realize there are some people that they have no interest in human companionship. I'm talking your average human being has a need for companionship with the opposite sex and to procreate the race. That also does not come naturally. And poverty. Living in literal poverty with the bare necessities is also not something that human beings are used to. You know, um, as I talked about in an earlier episode, the average human being is all about making their lives as comfortable for themselves and their families, if they have one, as humanly possible. Being, you know, being hot or cold or hungry or um, having to do with the bare minimum does not come naturally to us. So, the reason I bring this up is, obviously not everybody is called to be a priest or a monk, or a nun for that matter, but the, the true Catholic Church, the pre-Vatican II Catholic Church, teaches obedience to lawful authority. Once you start learning the Christian virtues, then you are qualified to lead. Now, I do realize throughout Catholic history, there have been Catholic kings who have not done this. And that uh, a royal saint is a very rare thing indeed in, Catholic, in the Catholic Church's history. But... As I once argued to a Vatican II sect member, just because there, there have been bad popes, priests, bishops, and monks, and nuns, does not mean we, we throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, well, can't do Catholicism because people being people have been bad. That's ridiculous on the face of it. And the reason I'm also bringing up these three principles is once you are willing to give up 
your material comforts, even if they're legal, for the sake of our Lord, His Mother, and the one true Catholic Church, once you are divorced, once you are divorced from the things of this earth, you have nothing to lose. As I stated in a previous episode, if somebody, you know, if you're living, you know, with the bare minimum of stuff, and the gov- um, the Masonic Goombas come to your door and say, hey, give up the, the true Catholic Church or we're going to take your stuff, you're going to laugh and say, go ahead, go ahead. And I realize that this is going to be a tough sell to a lot of modernist set of accountants. But if the government goombas come to your door and your total devotion, and Lord willing, so should your families, is to the Blessed Mother and, and her son and the One True Catholic Church. And they say, hey, you know, give up the One True Catholic Church or we're going to kill your family. Now also, you know, obviously very few people have done this. But this is why the people who have done this, our saints, have said, go pound sand. I'm not doing it. Well, we're going to kill you too. Beautiful. Go ahead. I'm tired of living anyway. And that goes along, there, there is a thing in Catholic, uh, true Catholic teaching that talks about a, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? A, um, oh, for goodness sake, of all the times to forget, um, oh, Thank you, Mother Mary and Lord Jesus. An edifying death. A a lot, well, part of the reason that the pagan Romans society and culture, not all of it, but some of it was converted to Catholicism was because of the edifying deaths of the martyrs. You know, they they weren't cursing the people that were putting them to death. They went to their deaths calmly and they blessed their executioners. Just like our Lord did. So, even in death, we can give an edifying example of true Catholicism. And for that matter, as I talked about in another previous episode, spiritual martyrdom. Let's just say you're not, you're not martyred for the faith, but you're practicing mortifications and sanctifications to the best of your ability. Well, Lord willing, you're going to grow in spirituality. That in itself is going to be edifying to your friends, your neighbors, and I hope this isn't the case, to your family. And the reason I say this is, if you're doing it, they should be doing it. So you should be growing as a family together in spirituality. But you try to tell some set of contests this and they don't want to hear it. 
Um, our job is, you know, Jesus used the, the, um, the examples of salt and light. Salt in his time preserved meat and kept it from going bad and light illumined the darkness. That would, that is our job as Catholics. But what I'm saying is the reason I keep, you know, and I'm going to do this and, until it's my time to stop for whatever reason. If you're, if you're literally the example of somebody with nothing to lose, that you cannot be coerced, you cannot be threatened, you cannot be guilted, that the secular government, I'm sorry, the pagan government and its culture and society have no impact on you whatsoever, you are a danger to them. Because if you're going against the flow, you're literally telling them, hey, go pound sand. I have a higher cause. I have a higher purpose than your paganism. First of all, um, people who are living a lie at best or are fundamentally godless cannot stand to have a person in their midst who is showing showing them that how how bereft their lives are they cannot stand it it's like showing a cross to a vampire and by the way our pagan governments masonic pagan governments are literally vampiring the society and culture at large. I won't get into that. And so, people that are living this way, when, when the pagan governments decide that they need to make examples, the first people that are that are martyrs that are true Catholics are the people who are actually practicing, believing, and living their faith. And what I also will add for the sake of some people, they're living those, those principles with um Oh, gosh, I don't know why I keep... Um, give me a second here. Fervor! Thank you, Mother Mary, Lord Jesus. Fervor! And a lot of people, once again, going back to the KISS acronym, like to overthink things and think that fervor is 
lack of thinking. It's raw emotion. It's lack of thinking. No, it isn't. Fervor is willing to be to willing to die and to do whatever it takes to advance the heavenly kingdom on earth. And furthermore, to sanctify yourself so that you will be pleasing to our Lord and his mother. That is what fervor is. It's it's not raw motion. It's not lack of thinking. It's mean. It literally means be um, having the wish to do whatever it takes for our Lord and His Blessed Mother to whatever it is they want you to do, whatever their will is for you. But what I find particularly um, sad, I can't think of another word but sad, is there have been millions, and I mean literally millions of secular martyrs throughout the history of humanity that they went to their deaths without understanding what true martyrdom, well, number one, what true martyrdom really consists of, but two, without the knowledge, without having a higher purpose, they literally went to their deaths without realizing, number one, God's truth, but number two, realizing that they were called for a higher purpose in their lives. Now, am I saying that true Catholics weren't martyred by, say, the communists or, or the Nazis or the fascists? No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying the bulk of people that died in those persecutions, and not just those, the French Revolution, you know, the Napoleonic Wars. They, they went to their deaths without understanding that they were meant for a higher purpose, that their death could have meant more than just giving a brave example of defiance to a corrupt government. There, um, when I say this, I'm thinking about a pre-internet meme that used to be on t-shirts, there would be a hawk going in for the kill and the mouse was flipping him the bird. And it says, the last great act of defiance. When I think of that, I think of that meme. Because they are literally, their deaths had no higher meaning in the larger scheme of things, outside that they defied a corrupt government. We are called for more than that. If we should be called to be martyrs, we are called to be martyrs for the edification of the pagans at large. And if we're not called for actual martyrdom physically, 
Our spiritual martyrdom is called for to be the example, once again, to our neighbors, our society and culture at large, and even our friends and relatives who are not converted. But, like I said, I need to close this up, is a person with nothing to lose is more dangerous to the pagan culture, society, and government than any secularized resistant movement. And they... You know, the Masons who control these things know this. That's why I keep hammering home, prepare yourself spiritually. Those of you who are not prepared spiritually are going to be guilty of um, spiritual cowardice. You're literally going to burn the incense. You are literally going to re-crucify our Lord and stab our mother in her heart when you apostatize. And I, I, I can hear it already. There are going to be some people saying, well, oh, if, you, you know, if you keep the, the faith in your heart, you, you, you will be defined you'll be defying the forces of uh, satanic masonry. I'm not going to claim any authority in that matter. What I will say is history, Catholic history, is replete with Catholics, and when I say Catholics, I'm talking true Catholics, who apostatized, burned the incense, and then turned back to their pagan ways and they died in their sins. I can't think of anything more unfortunate for the person than having the presumption that somehow if they apostatize that they'll get a chance to make up for it. I'm not, you know, like I said, I'm not claiming infallibly one way or the other. I'm just saying, just from a study of history, people who apostatize usually die in their, their, their sins. I'm not, I'm not claiming infallibly that our, our Lord and Our Lady cannot give a special um, singular grace. I'm just saying you're being presumptuous and you're, you're, you're taking a big gamble with your soul. And not just with your soul, the souls of your family. And to those of you with families, if you're under the, the, the thought that, well, it's better that I apostatize and my family should live than, you know being an actual martyr, that is a spiritual mistake of the highest order. As true Catholics, we are called to die for the faith. 
That is why Jesus said in one of his uh, one of his sermons, it is better to go if your eye offends you, pluck it out. It is better to go to heaven with one eye than to go into hell with two. Because if you're under that mindset and you apostatize for the sake of your family, there's no guarantee that your family isn't going to follow your example and apostatize. And once you die in your sins, your will is fixed. And to, to further clarify my point... Let's just say you do apostatize. Okay? Now, I'm, I'm talking about in future times. What is to say that you're going to have a chance to repent? What is to, what is to say that you're going to have an actual chance... To repent of your apostasy. Once again, I'm not making any authoritative or infallible claims. I'm not. You might have a chance. Your family might have a chance. But it's not a guarantee. However, if you do die for the faith, it is a matter of Catholic dogma that if you die for the faith, you're going straight to heaven and you are you don't even have to go for, through purgatory. You go straight to heaven because you're literally a martyr for the faith. I would say that me being a practical person, I would rather be practical and die for my faith. And if I had a family... um. You know, um, by my example, giving them the, the, the edifying death that they would need to make the same decision. Now, obviously, people are people. So maybe some of your family members would say, eh, no, I'm not in for that. And they apostatize. Well, that's on them. But at least if you die for the faith, you know you did your part. And that's all you can do is your part. But you have to be willing to make that sacrifice. Which to close out my podcast is. Makes you the most dangerous person in the world. To pagan culture, society, and government. Now this this did run long. Like I said, I could have busted this up into two episodes, but um Lord willing, uh you'll take my advice at the first part of this this random thought. And if you cannot digest all this in one sitting, and I think a lot of people can't you will break it up into digestible chunks. So, thank you for listening. I, I can't say enough that I do care enough about everybody. Um, 
and I'd like to see as many people go to heaven as possible. Once again, I'm always going to say this. You have to be willing to accept the graces that God gives you when he gives it to you. Because you may not always be able or he may not always grant you the graces that he grants you at a particular time. So, I'd, um, I'd like to see as many people get to heaven. I think I said that as possible. Um, I hope and I pray that this edifies you in one way or another. Thank you for listening. And I say this from the bottom of my heart. God bless you. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Sveinar heime vära Jöj med det gulle ball Det är sex på hejningsland Och röjner dig önn i kall Ria dig ut ur frantlande Med dyre drås i sadel Läs i rören olivant Och rusar hållen Vunde dig upp det silkesegel Högt upp i seglerå Så seglar dig på hejningsland Och i virke Dig ut ur Franklande med dyre drås i sadel Läs i dörren olivan på rusahallen Slogest dig ut på rusahallen i dagarna två och trå Hejningen fall för Rolands värde som storren för goda då Ria dig ut ur Franklande med dyre drås i sadel Heidningen fall for Roland Sverige som snjoen driver i heie Ria deg ut over Franklande med dyre drås i sal Læs i løren olivan for rusarvolden Slogest deg ut på rusarvolden, trøyte menner og moe Sol i fekken skjer skinepjar for røyken av alle blod Ria deg ut over Franklande med dyre drås i sadel Læs i løren olivan på rusarvolden Roland satte luren på blodiga mund i pläsan i med vreie Og rinna jord og jarer og jo i berav i vreie Ria deg ut over Franklande med dyre drås i sadel Läs i löven olivan på rusarvolden Fram så kom det lura jord i det sock ut i slier och gäng Roland läs sina ögon och häls och hack på de hejtingen trängde Ria dig ut ur Franklande med dyre drås i sadel Läs i löven olivan på rusarvolden
Heimat käm han Magnus Kongen, det hette sig alla röde. Han har full käppe med sylt och guld och då var alla hejningar döde. Ria dig ut ur Franklandet med dyre drås i sadel. Läs i luren och i vann på rusa harvollen. <tryk> 